1: We start hour number two of the Bruce Hooley show on Thursdays with our weekly interview with Matt Mayer of OpportunityOhio.org. Follow Matt on Twitter at OhioMatt. His Substack is The Patriot Mind. You can find that by searching it on the web. And, Matt, we have quite the scandal going on in Washington, although the Democrats say it's not a scandal. Just like the Republicans said it was not a scandal when Donald Trump had classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. And we've got a lot of uh, stall tactics From the administration's chief spokesperson, Corinne Jean-Pierre, if you could give her truth serum and make her answer one question about this scandal, what would that question be?
0: Why were lawyers hired to move boxes of documents out of the Penn Center instead
1: of movers? Is that what they're telling us, that they found the documents because they were just doing regular (laughs) regular moving activities? I hadn't heard that one. Yeah, that's the
0: ridiculous story, right? And, and so you don't hire lawyers at $1,000 plus an hour to do that. Uh, my sense is what we will learn eventually is there was either a subpoena or something issued uh, that required them to hire the lawyers to go look instead of, uh, instead of just hiring people to move documents that they hired lawyers to go look to see if there's any classified information. That's my guess. Eventually that will come
1: out. Wow. Well, I have a conspiracy theory of my own. I think that uh, the powers that be in the Democratic Party do not want Joe Biden to run for re-election again. He was getting ready to announce that. And I'm just going to say that, again, I have no proof, not reporting, blah, blah, blah. But I believe that the Obama's fingerprints are all over this because I think they want Michelle to run for president.
0: Yeah, I saw some tweet about she's made calls to like you know Wall Street folks to to back her. I don't know if that was just like a tinfoil hat rumor on Twitter or it was really legitimate. But I can't fathom why Michelle Obama would want to leave the lifestyle she has right now to to essentially become president. I know that sounds silly to say, but like she gets fed it all over the world. They they're making millions of dollars. They have their three houses, I think at least. Well, you know, Hawaii, Martha's Vineyard, and uh and then chicago i still think they have the place in chicago like right their kids like have you know the nepotism run amok where they get the greatest jobs ever so i'm not sure why the obamas would want to kind of jump back into the mess that is washington right now but, but maybe i'm wrong about that
1: matt Mayer is our guest he's with OpportunityOhio.org. you can follow matt on twitter at ohio matt okay uh we have uh in ohio a new Uh, ohio house and we got quite a lot of disagreement between the republicans in the house the story of jason stevens becoming speaker we've delved into what have you seen out of the ohio house now that it is starting to get back to work uh, in the way that it uh, has dropped new bills or anything caught your eye about how they're doing business
0: yeah, well, so Derek Marin and his backers, uh, which are the majority of Republicans, you know, proposed an ethics reform bill yesterday, which I actually think should be applauded. Um, it closed what I refer to as the, the Husted loophole. As you remember, Bruce, the reason I came to your show after spending time on 610 was because they tried to silence me from criticizing uh, John Husted for taking corporate gigs while he's lieutenant governor. And and this bill that Derek Marin proposed yesterday would essentially close that loophole that as we've you know talked about, you know just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Mm-hmm. And this this bill will bring bring up to date and overlook a uh, loophole that John Houston exploited uh, to essentially earn more money as you know being lieutenant governor, but having you know corporate boards where there are just so many conflicts of interest uh, from that bank, that bank's clients, you can name it, dealing with state government. So you know, applaud Derek Marin for that first uh, tranche over the wall.
1: Well, I don't know whether the Ohio Education Association approves of that bill or not, but uh, depending on how they view it, I suppose that'll tell me whether Jason Stevens and the 21 other Republicans who sided with all the Democrats to make him speaker, that'll tell me whether he's going to give it a reading, whether he gets behind it, because to me, it's pretty easy to grade whatever bills are going to make it to the point where they get voted on in the Ohio House and that is do the teachers union stand behind it we won't hear the backpack bill we won't hear the other educational reforms that we were hoping for and i don't have a read on what kind of uh, other legislation jason stevens might be favorable toward do you
0: well no but we know he's cut a deal with the democrats so he, if he does anything that they don't like you know he essentially loses their support and right loses his his his, his power so you know we know we're going to get a bunch of uh, center left maybe moderate right stuff over the next two years out of him because we don't get any leadership out of Mike DeWine and John Husted on the big deal stuff. So, you know, we're just looking at essentially having a super majority that is anything but a super majority.
1: Speaking of that, you have been at opportunityohio.org all over the Ohio jobs situation. And you've been critical of DeWine and Husted that uh, they are, you know, they're hiding behind the Intel thing uh, to, basically give themselves a lot of street cred in terms of creating jobs in the state of Ohio. But uh, tell us what you wrote about on Substack regarding jobs in the state.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I looked at, uh, we look at job numbers every every month when the Bureau of Labor Statistics puts, puts out numbers. One of the things we then did uh, is we just kind of dug down a bit deeper and looked at the metropolitan, metropolitan statistical areas. There are 11 of those in Ohio, greater Columbus area, greater Cincinnati, greater Cleveland, right? Toledo, Dayton, you name it. And, We looked at that from 2000 to 2022 and from 2010 to 2022. And why we did that segment is because we wanted to see over the last two decades, largely Republican rule, how has the private sector and jobs fared in Ohio? And then we looked at the next sector because we wanted to say, you know, John Kasich throughout this Jobs, Ohio, that was going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread and was going to revolutionize job growth in Ohio and to see how it it would perform in that period of time. It's been around now for just just over 10 years and, and what we found here is other than the greater Columbus area and the greater Cincinnati area, the rest of Ohio is dying on the vine from a job standpoint. You've got a couple of areas, a um, couple of areas during the jobs, Ohio area, Toledo, Cleveland and Dayton, where they gained about 15,000, 12,000 and 9,000 jobs. And this is, of course, 12 years. Mm. So that's not a lot of jobs. Right. But net, the net for those places is still negative over the 22 years. So over the course of 22 22 years, only Cincinnati and Columbus have actually netted jobs in Ohio. The rest of Ohio, literally the rest of Ohio, is negative on job growth over the last 22 years. And so my criticism of both the John Kasich, Mike DeWine, John Husted, and Jobs Ohio is, yeah, they seem to be doing a great job for the greater Columbus area. And Intel's a great example of that, the new battery factory uh, for Honda and LG is another great example of that, right? That the the, the, the fat are getting fatter, but the rest of Ohio is hollowing out. And, and, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I put out the population data showing that that's also the case, right? That people are leaving. And, you know, last week, Mike DeWine did his inaugural speech. And, you know, he said, come to Ohio. It's a great place. So people come to Ohio. The problem is, over the last two years, according to the census bureau, over 40,000 Ohioans have left. Hmm. So we're losing people because this isn't a great place. So we've got to have fundamental, massive reforms that make this a place that people want to stay, live, work, and grow. And that's currently not the case and has not been. It's based upon the jobs and and, and population data that we've looked at for the last two decades.
1: Matt Mayer is our guest, OpportunityOhio.org. You can find that story about Ohio jobs on his substack, The Patriot Mind. And I shared a story this week, a study from WalletHub about Ohio being like the 30-something best state to live in. And it Grades Ohio crossed a bunch of factors, but one of them would certainly be jobs. And I would imagine that jobs will be one of the pillars of Matt Dolan's campaign for uh, U.S. senator in Ohio. He's already a state senator, but like so many politicians, he's running for another office uh, rather than doing the job that he already has. Uh, Your thoughts on Dolan getting into the race? I deemed it that uh, the Democrats who named the Ohio Speaker of the House now have the ingenious idea of running another Democrat against the Democrat Sherrod Brown in 2024?
0: Yeah, look, you know, everyone knew that Matt Dolan ran uh, for the Senate this last time because he wanted to use his family's money to get his name ID statewide up for this run against Sherrod Brown. Um, so the issue is, is, is Matt Dolan the best person to represent Ohio in and Washington? And, and I think that there'll be a vigorous debate about that. But, he's, you know, he's a very moderate guy. Um, he tries to claim he's conservative, but he's not. Um, and so, like, you know, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I think that there are some other folks that are probably going to get in that race. Uh, but but look, he got out early, and, and I think he's he was, learned a lesson from the last time by waiting so long to get in. So now he got himself in nice and early, and that that's going to be probably good good for him to have first-mover advantage for a while.
1: Yeah, speaking of senators, uh, what kind of impact can a first-term senator in Washington make? J.D. Vance is embarking upon his first six-year term. Uh, What's possible for him relative to the state of Ohio and how the state could benefit from having him there?
0: Uh, Honestly, not much, especially when they're in the minority uh, and the Democrats are are not looking for for bipartisan work. They're looking to kind of jam through their stuff. So uh, what J.D. can do is stay strong. Uh, represent Ohio by making sure the, that the Democrats don't get stuff put in place that's, you know, progressive liberal mumbo jumbo, and and then spend his time on committees really digging into the issues. And when he has, you know, Anthony Fauci or he gets, uh, you know, somebody in front of him from the administration, like you know, Mayorkas from DHS, he does a fantastic job grilling those people on their their lack of uh, of progress, their failure, uh, their lies, so that he can you know hold the administration accountable. That's really what I would suggest JD spend his time right now uh, doing over the next couple of years is just really try to get accountability out of the administration when he has those witnesses in front of him uh, in his committee assignments.
1: Well, hopefully his skills as an attorney will uh, come to bear in that regard. It's always great to have you on the show, Matt. Appreciate your perspective. Follow Matt on Twitter at OhioMatt. Read his Substack, The Patriot Mind, and uh, his site is OpportunityOhio.org. Thanks for your time today. We will talk to you again in this time slot on Thursday next week. Thanks, Bruce. Hey, I want to shout out a friend, a guy I've known for a long time, uh, Lawrence Funderburg. He is a former NBA basketball player. A lot of you know Lawrence from his days at Worley High School and his days as an Ohio State Buckeye, and Lawrence is now giving back to the community. He is coaching basketball, assistant basketball coach, at Worthington Christian High School. Uh, here is a snippet of the feature that Channel 6, I believe, did on Lawrence last night.
0: You're able to see the growth and the development, and that takes relationship. And I think as a coach, you've got to be able to relate to young people today, particularly these kids. Um, and when you're able to do that in an effective way, uh, the sky's the limit in terms of the growth in their lives, and more importantly, their legacies.
1: Now, Lawrence grew up with as tough a circumstances as a young man could have. Uh, He triumphed over those circumstances because he had people who cared about him, plugged into his life, recognized his talent, helped develop his talent. And now he's doing what people who are given those breaks should do, like the gentleman who called us yesterday, who told us that he got an opportunity as a minority student, went to college, worked hard, got a degree, Did he say his his daughter's a doctor? Like, that was phenomenal. That, like, such a touching story. Uh, And so I know Lawrence is making a big difference, and that's what we are called to do is give back. Now, the other uh, guy locally here that I want to shout out is Columbus Blue Jackets defenseman Zach Wierenski. Zach Wierenski visited with the Westerville Police Department uh, earlier this week in support of law enforcement. Saturday, the Blue Jackets play at home against the San Jose Sharks, which is First Responders Night, and Zach Warinski doing that with Westerville. Uh, I got. I think everybody in this city has, unless you are, you know, a nut job leftist, a soft spot in their heart for the Westerville Police Department, because I'll never forget that Saturday morning when officers Anthony Morelli and Eric Joring were murdered by. A guy who shouldn't have even been out on the streets, a guy who shouldn't have had a gun, uh, and they never had a chance. They walked into a domestic dispute, and he murdered them. And so the Westerville police and the Westerville community dealt with um, wrenching, wrenching loss over those two officers. And so I'll never forget the blue lights that resounded around central Ohio in the aftermath of that. And uh, I still see blue lights in Westerville when I go through. And so, shout out to Zach Warinski for doing that. So you can do a lot of good with sports. You can also do a lot of bad with sports. Uh, here is Canadian hockey commentator. Well, first I have to preface by saying that uh, earlier this week in Philadelphia they were having a um, they were having a gay pride night, and they were welcoming the LGBTQ community into the Philadelphia Flyers hockey game. And so the players came out before the game. They were warming up in, like, rainbow jerseys, and they were uh, uh, their sticks had been wrapped with rainbow tape. And uh, one of the hockey players, uh, his name is Ivan Provorov, uh, did not want to take part in the pregame gay pride festivities, so he stayed in the locker room. He just stayed in the locker room. And then the Flyers donned their normal jerseys. Provorov came out, played the game. And after the game, uh, people wanted to know, hey, hey, why weren't you out on the ice? Why weren't you wearing the gay pride jersey? Why weren't you uh, using the gay pride stick? And here is what uh, Ivan Provorov told the assembled media. Everybody,
0: I respect everybody's choices. My choice is to stay true to myself and my religion. That's all I'm going to say. any, uh, like I said, that's all I'm going to comment on that. Um, if you have any hockey questions, I would, like, I
1: would answer those. Uh, he's a Russian Orthodox religion. And while here in America, you don't often hear uh, people say or take the stand that he took. Uh, what you never hear is what the other religions in the world's stance is on homosexuality. Uh, in Islam, Homosexuality is expressly prohibited. It is in Christianity as well. In and Isla, in, uh, Islamic nations have been known to put people to death for being uh, found out to be homosexual. So this, of course, was very controversial. Provorov uh, was ripped by the media. Uh, his coach, by the way, a guy that you should know from his years here in Columbus, John Tortorella, uh, said that they asked him if he thought about not playing Provorov in the game. Which, uh, if you've been around John Tortorella for five minutes, you know that John Tortorella is not going to keep a guy out of a game for something foolish like a pregame virtue signaling event. In fact, when Torts was with the Blue Jackets, during the whole Colin Kaepernick National Anthem kneeling thing, Torts has a son, by the way, who's an Army Ranger. (laughs) Torts said, if anybody kneels for the anthem, they're done. I won't play them. Out of here. Okay, so this did not land well with Canadian hockey commentator. I I never heard of this guy. Uh, And I'm not sure that I can uh, pronounce his last name. Uh, And now I lost his name because it was right here in front of me. Sid Sexurero or something like that. He's on a hockey show called The Breakfast Club. So here's Sid going off on Ivan Provorov.
0: Nothing scares me more than any human being who says, I'm not doing this because of my religious beliefs. Because when you looked at people's lives, you normally say that publicly, you'd throw up at what you saw. You would throw up at what you saw. And I have seen that a million times in a lot of different ways. So don't, don't give me that. With respect. Don't give me that because no one's perfect.
1: No, with respect. All
0: right? don't, tell me, don't, don't feed me the religious beliefs line. And all of a sudden the NHL is going to back off this. The National Hockey League today needs to find that organization a million dollars and reevaluate how they support gay rights. Because that is insulting. That is the number one trending topic in Canada. That is insulting what happened in Philadelphia. And if the NHL is serious about this, they say they are. We'll see. Mm -hmm. We'll see how serious they are today.
1: Uh, Wow, he's angry. And leftists never see the obvious uh, conflict between him saying that Ivan Provorov does not have a right to his authentic religious beliefs. But this commentator has a right to insist that everyone adopt his own personal beliefs about how LGBTQ rights should be worshipped. I mean, it's really odd to me that you could be that adamant about elevating one set of beliefs, his own, and denigrating another set of beliefs, someone else's, who he does not share. Would that not be... The clearest depiction of intolerance in action.